Today's episode is brought to you by Bonsai N, Australia's premium bonsai store. Shop online with Australia-wide shipping and a wide range of payment options, including Afterpay, which allows you to buy now and pay later. Visit www.bonsai-en.com.au. That's www.bonsai-en.com.au for more info. Modern Bonsai listeners, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we begin, I just want to say thank you guys for your support. We've been listened to so far in 15 different countries. I want to thank everybody who's tuning in again now to listen to this episode of the podcast. We have been quiet the last few weeks, but we have good reason for that as we've been booking some pretty big name guests to come on over the next few weeks. Plus, we've been trying to find the best people to give the best information to you. So every time you listen to the podcast, you can take something good away from it. But for now, we've got a very good guest on today. His name is Andrew Edge. He has an absolutely unbelievable collection of trees, including a 1951 black pine. This thing is just absolutely incredible. As well as that, he's got some other pines that are not quite as old, but still pretty old, um, just as impressive. He's got a lot of trees in development. He owned his own nursery for some time, and he's also been pretty active in a lot of the different bonsai clubs around the Central Coast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy all the information and stories that Andrew has, because this is a great podcast that goes for about three hours. So enjoy. Here's Andrew. Thanks, Josh, and thanks so much for having me yeah, no problem. on this. Is, um, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Um, my name's Andrew Edge, and... I live on the central coast of New South Wales, and I've um, been doing bonsai uh, 24 years now, yep. so Christmas present from my wife back in 1995 was the beginning of the end, as she would say, So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it just started off small, I went out, I got oh, had this sort of yearning passion for it, I suppose, something that I really liked, Japanese, Japanese arts and I was interested in um, karate um, at that time though I was playing um, rugby union so I didn't have a lot of time outside of rugby to to do much else so bonsai was uh, a nice little escape for me from from all the training and the the hitting and the belting people all day playing rugby and then come home to, to play on my little trees it was a good sort of yin yang for me at the time um, but started out small, a couple of trees here and there. My first nursery I went to was Ray Nesky's up at Kenhurst and uh, got introduced to, to Ray and his son Clinton um, who still run the nursery out there and um, then I went off to Korashev's nursery down at uh, Castle Hill which is unfortunately no longer there. Uh, introduced to Bonsai through that and uh, just... The passion sort of slowly built and then I stopped playing rugby and, and started doing um, karate um, as, as my sort of outlet sport, if you like. I've always been quite athletic and uh, quite sporty and so needed some outlet there, but that sort of entrenched that sort of Japanese sort of styling sort of thing inside of me and I started to become more and more interested in bonsai. And then I actually... I'm, I'm a printer by trade, run big printing machines and I uh, was working for a company called Sydney Allen Manufacturing at Ermington and uh, it's just no longer there but, as well 
but um, I ran into uh, three guys in the same factory who all did bonsai. Um, uh, Tony Zirafa, uh, Mark, oh, Mark, 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 what's his last name? Anyway, and uh, a guy called John Marsh. And John was uh, at the time the president of the Nepean Bonsai Society and um, really sort of got me interested in being part of that club. This is way back in 97. And um, so I joined the club. My wife and I joined the club there out at the Nepean. And John was a very instrumental figure for me in, um, in developing um, a real drive in, and passion for bonsai. Um, and I'm still very good friends with John now. He's still heavily involved with the Nepean Bonsai Society. Um, and then uh, after being part of the club for about two years, I started, um, I was going to every nursery I could, Bonsai South, um, and I actually came up to a little nursery um, which was called Bibbo Bonsai Nursery up at Peach Ridge and uh, owned at the time by Ruth Brown. And um, I remember the first time I ever went there, I thought, fantastic this place up here it's just out of sydney um you know beautiful beautiful country and uh kept going back to that nursery they had free workshops a good bunch of people and um another club actually met there for their workshops called the south lakes bonsai club became friendly with the um, people from that club and uh so it was up on the central coast a fair bit um, doing that and then unfortunately Ruth passed away this is 2000 and um, Ted her husband had no idea about bonsai and so I used to go up and help him um, with the nursery and, and slowly just winding it down for him because um, he's an elderly bloke at the time and, and then couldn't really look after any of the trees and uh, yeah so and then one day he said oh I'm selling the place and I looked at my wife and I said jeez can't sell this place, mate. This is awesome. You know, I had all this. It was like a shock moment for me. And it was a week before Christmas. We were visiting him for Christmas, and yep. we were having like a Christmas dinner. And um, he said, "He said oh, I'm selling the place." And I looked at, as I say, I looked at Allison, and we went home that day and worked out the figures and did the sums. And I rang him the day after and said, "I want to buy the place off you." And um, that was the start. That was 2001. And we ended up having a, a long settlement so I could get the money together and whatnot. And um, we ended up moving up there to Peach Ridge on the New South Wales Central Coast hinterland. It's sort of up in the mountains. Uh, that was uh, June of 2002. By that stage, Bibo Bonsai Nursery had been shut for, oh, since 2000 when Ruth passed. So about a year and a half, nearly, oh, so two and a half years. And um, decided to reopen it. Yeah. By this stage, I'm bonsai crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, my house that I lived at in uh, Oatlands, just outside of Parramatta, the backyard was full. Um, I probably had uh, close to 250, 300 bonsai at that stage. Um, going to all the club meetings, I was going to demonstrations. I was trying to, you know, every little thing I could do to learn about bonsai and to, to increase my own knowledge I was doing, and I was trying to do anyway. Um and we, you know, this is back in the late 90s, so internet's very slow, the old dial-up days. So, you know, that wasn't exactly the resource that I was going for. I, was, I remember 
I used to read Bonsai Today magazines every night before bed, looking at all these Japanese masters and what they're doing and whatnot. Um, but yeah, fast forward to 2002 in September, um, we reopened the nursery, uh, Bibo Bonsai Nursery. And um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, for five years, lived the dream, running my own Bonsai Nursery. And uh, I still worked in Sydney, uh, travelling down uh, three days a week. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, doing printing, running big printing machines, but um, operating, uh, running the nursery on the other on the other days, and um, yeah, five years it was awesome. You know, having had, had workshops there and and whatnot. And uh, when I moved up, I joined the Central Coast Club as well, as well as being a member of the South Lakes Bonsai Club. Um, I was their patron for about seven or eight years. Um, and um, unfortunately, in 2004, my father passed away, uh, very sudden, had a, had a massive heart attack. And um, for me, um, my, long story short, my family's, my family's businesses were all up on the Central Coast. They had uh, service stations. Um, so being the only son that lived up on the coast and the only family member, member that lived on the coast, I actually had to quit my printing job. And, well, I didn't have to, but I chose to quit my printing job and go help my mum. And yep. um, worked in uh, their business, uh, or her business, should I say, for uh, about four years. But that was six days a week, seven till seven every day. Uh, and unfortunately, when you're doing that, and trying to run a bonsai nursery at the same time, something's got to give. Um, and unfortunately for me, it was the bonsai nursery. I, I just couldn't keep it going. Um, you know, the priority for me at that time was the, you know, helping my mum. And um, I couldn't expect my wife to, to do it. She just had our baby girl in 2002, Hannah. And then 2005, had our son, Harry. 2006, has our, son Je uh, has our daughter, Jessie. So there's no way that she she had her hands full. Yeah. Um, so 2007 into 2008, um, decided to wind the retail side of the nursery up, and um, then we um, kept the wholesale. We had a lot of plants, a lot of trees to work. You know, still obviously on site. Um, so over the following couple of years, ran the nursery down uh, through wholesale selling. So I was still had my hands dirty working, trying to get all, you know all this stuff out, um, but with a future goal of of um, sort of winding it all down. And then uh, 2012, um, we actually moved from Peachridge, sold the property, moved down here to Greenpoint, became much more heavily involved in the Central Coast Bonsai Club. Um, I took over their newsletter, and have been running their doing their newsletter for the last seven years. Um, and um, have been yeah in in this place where we are now for the last well since 2012. Um, I find myself a lot of pretty much one or two days a week up at Jillaby up at Bonsai World, uh, trying to help the the guys up there at the nursery, um, and I travel around uh, helping people. Uh, there's uh, three people I help with their collections. Um, just to, <clears throat> they've either got too many trees or they, they're at stages where they need a little bit more help. Um, and as well as that, I 
I'm fortunate enough to to travel. Um, I've travelled overseas for bonsai, um, and that's a very you know very fortunate to have travelled to a number of different countries to to study their bonsai to to really look into you know what they do and how they get the styles they do Vietnam, Japan, um, even over to the US to to, to look at that as well. Um, you know, it's 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 certainly a hobby that you you're always learning. There's so much to learn, and um, it's it's one of those things that's um, it really is that lifelong hobby because of that because there is just that, that never ending yearning for myself anyway um, to to know more yeah, and no, to learn more. I think you've um, done it properly too because I think the two biggest things that help with people learning in bonsai is one if you can work in a nursery or. Mm volunteer in a nursery yep just try and get yourself in and amongst it yes you work with so many different species and this is something you might not have the opportunity to do in your own collection yeah whether it be you don't have the money or the time or the space or whatever absolutely if if you can get a job at a nursery or an apprenticeship or Mm. volunteer just to get that knowledge i think that's um so valuable and also traveling to see bonsai in other parts of the world um because if you look at what they're doing in japan it's very perfect and Mm. um the patina on the trees and just the age in them because they pass their trees down through generations well that's right and then you see what they're doing in vietnam and they've got these big monstrous trees and big cement pots that blew my mind you know, you, you can't mind. move without awesome. a yeah. crane or a forklift or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see yeah. Well, we were watching. There were trucks pulling up with with you know the jibs on the back of the, the crane on the back of the of the tray, yep. picking whole trees up, and you know that's how they're transporting these trees around in Vietnam. It was, it was a, it was a mind blowing trip. It was fantastic. So I highly recommend, especially in Hanoi, um, uh, the trees in Hanoi were just unbelievable. Um, uh, some of the and and some of the um, uh, we were fortunate enough to go along and see some of the the um, actual shows uh, they put on a, a, a um, exhibition, and we were fortunate enough to to get along to that. Um, but it was in a bonsai village. Yep. There wasn't just one nursery there. I would have said there were more nurseries in that one village than there are in Australia. In one yeah, village, right. you know, and then and that's very similar in a way to Japan. There are whole villages devoted to bonsai, you know, yeah. and that's, you know, uh, you know, hopefully one day we get that, like that in Australia where we can have a whole area that's devoted to bon- to growing bonsai. We just, our market at the moment in Australia, we're still building that that um, that base level of, of getting that excitement for people as well and, and getting that passion, especially... Um, you know, for for growing good good quality trees. I think we're getting there though. I think the central coast and its outreaches. Yeah. There's a lot in this area. Absolutely. In terms of, you know, you've got Bonsai World and Ray Neskies and Bonsai yep. Environment and then you've got, you know, us further up north. Absolutely. Um and then in those areas you've got a lot of clubs. Yes. Um I mean I haven't gotten a lot I'm going to Melbourne in November. Yep. So I'm going to have a look around down there. and. Well, Melbourne, yeah, look, Victoria, it, it's a funny thing. Um, New South Wales has such a, a vast population and, and, and Victoria has a very similar population or just very concentrated, but Melbourne bonsai 
wow, they have some amazing artists down there. Some, uh, I would have said they're actually ahead of us at the moment. Um, certainly, I, I, I get what you're saying about Central Coast Bonsai. We've got, um, well, the Central, Base, Central Coast Bonsai Club is um, you know, a, a very good club. We're powering along. We've got an excellent president at the moment who has a great foresight to, to, to building um, the youth in our club especially. I mean, so we were talking about it previously before we started. You know, the part of the problem, or not a problem, but part of the thing about bonsai clubs is it generally tends to be the average age is over sixty-five. Yeah. And um, so for for younger people coming in, and if you don't, if you're not blinded by passion like I was, um, you know, you could be get walking into that club and thinking, "Holy cow, I'm." I'm the youngest by 40 years or, or 30 years, you know, I'm not going to have any other than bonsai. What, what, what similarities or, you know, things am I going to have with these people? Um, but I'm finding more and more young people. Um, I like to think I'm still part of that group, but at 44, I'm, I'm starting to get longer in the tooth, <laughs> I suppose you'd say. But, but, but certainly, um, you know, for a long time, I was the youngest at the club um, at 44, even when I started at, Central Coast Bonsai Club at 32 um, or 30, whatever it was. Actually, no, sorry. Take that back. I was 28. I was the youngest at the club by, by a long shot. And then Hugh joined. Yep. And he was only 12 or 13 when he joined. So, you know, he was the youngest for a long time too. And then my sons joined at 12 years old. So he's the youngest at the club now. But there's, but between the three of us, there's not many of us um, in age at the club. So it's definitely something that we need to build build up from a club point of view, but but I think part of part of today's bonsai culture um, is so much around, it revolves around the internet, um, what you're doing um, with the podcast, which I think, as I, as I said before, are fantastic. Um, people can get a whole new insight into what we do, into the culture, into the art, whether it be you know the the horticulture, whether it be the um, the artistic side of bonsai. Um, there are so many different facets to to bonsai um, that people can you know, pick up little, just little intrinsic details that they hadn't before, perhaps through a YouTube video, through a podcast. Um, but yeah, it's um, look for me the the bonsai journey will will be forever. It'll be yeah. that you know I I have had. Some of my trees since since I started, I, I don't have my first tree. It was something I listened on one of your podcasts that you still have your first tree, and I commend you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually moved it the other day. It's been in the ground for a while. Okay, yep. Yeah, and um, actually moved it and put it in a nursery pot. You're nice. Because the sun was moving around the house in a funny way. And yep. given that it's a juniper, the foliage started opening up. Yeah, okay. More than I liked. Yeah, it didn't like, like – yeah, it needs that sun. Yeah, so I um, – Put it in some new potting mix, but the good thing was when I pulled it out, the roots were so healthy. Awesome. And that just put the biggest smile on my face <laughs> because when I got it, the roots weren't that healthy. Okay. Because yep. for me, um, I was one of those people, my first tree came from Bunnings. Yes. So the tree wasn't in its prime of health when mm. I got it. It didn't have um, drainage nets over the holes, so it, yeah. it had bugs in it Ugh. that had crawled up through the holes and stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, I did have enough foresight to repot it. Yes. Um, 
even though at the time I was only new into bonsai, but I did some research and, you know, thought this can't be good for it. Yeah. Um, so I repotted it and then a season after that, um, I'd learn a bit more. So yep. I end up putting it in the ground and yep. it's been there ever since because, you know, my first tree, Yeah, yeah. you know, I want to have it, you know, forever. So I thought I might as well put it in the ground and just let it do its thing. But yeah, nice. The thing that I found about ground growing is you lose a lot of control over the tree. You lose control of the roots. You, you can't, do. you know, they just go anywhere and everywhere. And when it comes time to potting that up, you haven't got a tight root system. That's right. They're yeah. very, you know, spread and, you know, it's better to have that real tight root system so you can get more roots in a smaller pot. Yes. Kind of thing. So it sort of segues a little bit like, you know, speaking before about different stages of a bonsai, you know, understanding is your bonsai in a stage where you're trying to develop the tree? Are we trying to build the tree up? Um, if you're, and, and we do that to, if the trunk's not thick enough, if the branches are weak or the tree's generally weak and it just needs a, a bit of a, a bulking up. Yep. Um, the tree for me, there the trees either in that stage of development or in that stage where we're actually into refining the tree and we're starting to build ramification. Now, doing the development side of it, for me, that's all done in black plastic pots. In the, whether it be in the ground, you, you're hundred percent right. You lose control in the ground. Yep. And part of building good bonsai is maintaining some level of control over the tree. Now. That's not to say that ground growing isn't a good thing. It is, if you want big, thick trunks um, with, uh, you know, the, the the tape, whether you're building tape or whether you're building, as I say, those the branches to thicken up or you're just strengthening the tree, ground growing will give you that in, in spades and quickly. Yeah. If that's the, the goal, and I often say to people when, you, when, you, when you're dealing with bonsai, you set yourself goals. There are stages to building this tree. And that's another key point. We're building a tree. We're not necessarily just going to form a tree. I think people, you know, get into bonsai and they, they see a, an elm or a maple or any of these, or a ficus, a fig, any of these really apically strong trees, trees that grow very crown top heavy. Yep. Um, they'll make the mistake of forming a bonsai and they form the whole tree in one hit. And so they've got it for that initial st stage, they've got a really nice bonsai. And for the first couple of years, they'll have a really nice bonsai. But after about four or five years of continually pruning the top and pruning all around, what you'll find is the taper, you'll lose taper. The top of the tree will get too thick and there's nothing you can do about it. It's the apical dominance of that tree. Yep. And so we, instead of building from the bottom up, like especially when on those deciduous species, the ficus, which are, as I've mentioned, apically dominant trees, we need to be starting with building the first branch and the new leader. Okay, now the first branch is built and the new leader's at a good good enough, roughly two-thirds, 80% of the thickness that I want, I'm going to cut it back to another new leader and build again. And that's where I was actually thinking about it today. I overheard someone say, oh, you never see deciduous trees in demonstrations because the work is generally pretty severe. Yep. I'm going to take off 90% and leave you with a very, very skeletal-looking structure 
and everyone goes, oh, my gosh, look what they did to that tree. <laughs> yeah. But that's what deciduous needs. It yep. needs that sort of work. Unless I'm working with something where it's already it's switched from that development stage into a refinement stage, well, that's different. Um, then I'm after really small, controlled work. I'm working in, con- in um, conjunction with the bonsai pot. So the bonsai pot, people don't realise the bonsai pot is actually a tool in our arsenal to control the tree yeah to get that finer absolutely and finer branching and absolutely stuff like that. Yeah. and so that's knowing okay i've developed my tree enough and you would have seen in my own yard i've got a whole area which is de- devoted to just developing the trees to building those trunks to building those branches up once i've had them at that stage where they're roughly as i say two-thirds 80 percent thicknesses that i'm happy with I'll take it out, put it in a bonsai pot, start that ramification. That's another three, four years of work. But the bonsai you end up with in the long run is far superior than something that you formed in the first year. So sort of thing. So but that's that differs again to when you're building a conifer. Yeah. Because you can't necessarily chop a conifer all the way back. You've got to have foliage left on the tree. You can't be, you know, fully defoliating a, a conifer, whether it be a pine, a juniper, a cedar, whatever it is, you've got to be maintaining some sort of foliage that will keep the tree driving and keep the tree growing. Um, you know, main, maintenance of health is is the key paramount thing no matter what we do. Yep. Tree's unhealthy, you're leaving it alone. I'm not going to chop, I'm not going to cut that tree. I'm cutting off the 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 pieces of the tree that it needs to rejuvenate itself with all the leaves, all the needles, whatever's there, that's what the tree needs to rejuvenate and to build its strength back up. And if I come into a sick tree and chop all that off and build my nice bonsai, whatever, um, I'm going to set that tree back rather than maintaining health and building it forward. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a um, cluttered office in a way. Yeah. You can't. You can't take the stuff out of the office because you need to use it. Your staplers, your pens, and your computer and stuff. Yeah. You've just got to try and maintain what's in there the best you can and arrange it nicely. And Managing it, Because if yeah. you cha- take all that stuff away, then you can't Absolutely. do your work. So yeah. I, I think it's kind of like that. And I, the thing that I picked up from what you were just saying too, I find it funny with the demonstrations <clears throat> that there's a lot of stuff that can't be done in a demonstration. Yep. And I think... I don't know whether it's Ryan Neal or Bjorn that I've heard say this before, but there's just certain things I can't do in demonstrations because at the end of a demonstration, people expect to see a finished tree. Yeah. And nobody in the history of bonsai is going to take a tree and finish it in three hours. No, it's It's very hard. you, You can only do one little stage of that bonsai's life in that demonstration. Yeah. So there's a lot that you're never going to see at a demonstration, but you can learn that by going to a nursery and working there or volunteering. That's yep. where you're going to learn that knowledge. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's the same with the deciduous stuff. Yeah. You're probably not going to see a lot of people cut back a deciduous tree and then at the end of the demonstration be, well, here's our tree and it's got you know a big, thick trunk <laughs> and two a, twigs. takes a very brave demonstrator. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's why you see most demonstrations are done with some sort of conifer. Because, yeah. uh, look, and something I've, I believe Ryan Neal has said, you know, you work the tree as much as you can to a point. You don't want to go too far, you'll, you'll de- be detrimental to the health, but you want to do as much as you can each time you touch the tree and that's that way you develop the tree quicker as well like 
for example, you might say, well, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to go through and I'll clean this juniper up. So you go through and clean the juniper, as in, you know, clean all the junctions, get rid of all the dead needles, uh, dead um, dead needles, and and go through the tree and clean it up. But then, if you weren't to wire the tree or to clean the bark or to do the shari work or gin work and and clean all that, and because they're all things that you can do, yeah, at that time, yep. So if you maximise how much you can do each time within 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 reason, obviously, you know, and and timing as well is key. You know, you don't want to do these in these sort of any work in the extremes of weather. Extreme cold, middle of winter, you don't really want to be playing around with your trees. Extreme heat, middle of summer, same again. Just let, let your trees be. The more leaves, the better in summer because the tree can transpire more, can move water quicker. It can cool itself down. That's what water's for in a tree. 85% of it is to cool the tree down. Yep. The rest is for nutrient transport and whatnot. But um, it's for cooling the tree down. The tree can't get up and say, oh, it's too hot here. I'm going to pick myself up and take myself inside. It can't do it, so it needs to transpire. We go through and cut all the leaves off, say defoliate in the in the middle of summer. Um, whilst that's you can get away with it, but you leave your tree out in the middle, it's defoliated, it's got no way of transpiring. We end up burning trunks. Yeah, you know because they actually boil. There's no transpiration. The water's just sitting there, yeah. beating up underneath the skin of the underneath the bark of the tree. That's why we get uh, sunburnt trunks and stuff like that. So. Timing is crucial, but for for things like I mean, we're we're pretty lucky in that the majority of the trees that we work with are very very hardy and can can handle a mistake here or there. Yep. And you know, sometimes you know, like the mistake I was showing you with my lantana out there, serendipity provides a, a better tree or something different at least that could be something else in another. Uh, sort of version of that tree, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly not going to be the big, big and bold informal upright that it used to be, but it can be something else. Um, but that was a, that tree is like that because of a mistake that I made. Um, yeah, live and learn. Won't make that mistake again. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you made a very good point there about you know if you really want to get that you know you know really deep into it. Volunteer at a nursery. I actually volunteered at the nursery at Bonzo World to begin with. Um, just approached Ashley and said, look, you need a hand here. There's so much so much work to do. I've had my own nursery and he knew that I, we've known each other since I came up on the coast. Um, and he gave. He said, look, mate, if you can come along and give us a hand. And, you know, I, I, I pop up there when I can. And, I, you know, a lot of the time I'm, I'm wiring junipers or I'm wiring pines Um or we're 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 making you know little little bonsai to 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 put out on the shelves, um, but you know it was only I've been there up there nearly four years, maybe a bit more now, and um, it's only in the last sort of year and a half that he's sort of said to me, or well, I actually said to him, you know, it'd be all right if I come and actually do a day's work here, like a proper pays work, paid day. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Is that a stage at that stage where he could afford to to pay me? Unfortunately, I don't get up there every week. I try to, but try and get up there. And but yeah, having that diversity of trees, I think I think there'd be close to probably eighty or ninety varieties of trees at the nursery. So having that diversity of trees is um, 
the knowledge that you build is is quick. You know, you quickly build the knowledge, and having guys around you too who are able to help you out uh, if you do get stuck. Ashley is like a, you know, it's just an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to plants. You pull names out of, and Dave's been growing trees for you know getting on twenty five odd years. Um, so they, uh, it's been excellent working up there and getting my hands dirty and um, I, I don't know it's 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 all part of that bonsai you know hanging out with your mates too up there at the nursery for me um, yeah yeah Ashley and Dave um, another guy up there Scott and another guy Graham they're some of my best mates now you know and that's that's an awesome thing you know to to have good mates who are into the same thing um, and. Uh, and to be able to also to work on some of the really monster trees that he's got up there. I mean, he's got some really ancient pines, uh, some really old um, and big uh, olives. Um, you know, we were talking before about you know going on olive digs and stuff like that, where you're pulling pulling out trunks as thick as your leg. Yeah. Uh, he wants to get one that's as thick as a 44 gallon drum, but you know, <laughs> Ashley doesn't stop at the little stuff. That's for that's for sure. He wants the king of the hill. But um, well, I got to put something in them big pots. Oh look, he's got some monster <laughs> pots up there at the moment. It's crazy. It's crazy. And you know, I mean, that's you know, kudos to him. He's he's got a good eye for uh, for for searching out and finding what you know some really unique and uh, interesting stuff. So. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly. Uh, I mean, as I mentioned before, bonsai is a continual learning thing, and and even going up to the nursery after owning my own bonsai nursery, even going and when I went to bonsai world just to volunteer, just little things that Ashley knows that I've picked up on, little things that Dave knows. Uh, as a side note, Dave's an excellent carver, and some of the carving that he does on the olives is amazing. And so I just watch how he works, um, you know, try and pick up little tips here and there. What would you do that, mate? Oh, just give that little bit of depth, a little bit of shadow or whatever it is. And just picking those, you know, it's like going to the demonstrations as we spoke, as you mentioned before, and going to the conventions and doing all these. It's just those little tidbits yep. that, that I can bring home and, and, and make uh, make my own trees better. Yeah. You know? and, I yeah. think another thing too that, people don't realize with bonsai is there's another side to bonsai which is the social aspect aspect about it mm. and you know you were saying before about you know people having 20 30 40 years on you in mm. a club the funny thing about bonsai is you go in thinking i'm not going to have anything in common with these people or i'm not going to fit in mm. but anytime you go to a bonsai event a demonstration or a workshop or, you know, whether it's yeah. a club meeting or, yeah. you know, just a bonsai day, I find that when I walk in, I don't notice anybody's age. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's yeah. just so nice. Yeah. Everybody's on the same page. You can talk to anybody there, yep. no matter who they are. Yep. And it's just, I don't think there's many other hobbies out there that are like that. No. You know, where you can just walk in, it doesn't matter the age of the people or, you know, where they're from or who they are or what they do for a living or yeah, yeah. what their other hobbies are. Oh, absolutely. Um, some of the, you know, like, as I mentioned before, Ash, Dave, Scott, Gray up at the nurseries, some of my best mates now, you yeah. know. Um, we've travelled the world together. 
Uh, we've been to Japan. We've been to Vietnam. We're hoping to. I'm. I'm hoping to con. Not con, but I'm hoping to. You know, sort of get Ashley to, to organise a trip to China. Yep. Uh, for for us all, um, or even a west coast of USA. Yeah. You know, go up and see Michael Hagedorn. Go up and see uh, Ryan Neal. Uh, the Portland bon- Portland uh, Bonsai Museum. Uh, yep. You know, other collections that are along the east coast, uh, west coast, should I say, down in California. Go see the redwoods. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Go and see the Pacific Bonsai Museum. Awesome. That'd be great. Awesome, you know. Um, so and 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 I think that the I, I've I've always found everyone very welcoming in, in in any of the clubs, conventions, demonstrations. I, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to, as I mentioned before, to travel um, and do demonstrations uh, mainly on just on the east coast of Australia. I haven't travelled further west. Um, but, um, and they'll push you up in the house, they'll, you know, feed you, they'll, whatever needs to be done, people are willing to bend over backwards just to, to make you feel welcome to, to, um, uh, to just be welcoming and, and, and warm and inviting. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. And I, I've said this to a few times. We're all as crazy as each other. That's part of the issue. <laughs> part of the thing is, you know, we're, and I think you need, to, you know, to have a fascination with these small plants in pots. I think you have to have a. There's a little bit of something loose in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing, and you know, I say that with all love and kindness, you know, but um, yeah, I um, I read there's a, you know. A line in a you know one of my books in the library of books that I've got on bonsai and it says you know bonsai is man's eternal struggle to overcome nature. Yep. You know nature always wins. Yeah. You know you know what it's like. You don't prune that tree, it's going to get out of shape. Or yep. It's going to grow out of that pot pretty quickly or put roots into the ground if it's on the ground. You know yep. nature always wins, but it's you know it's it's that struggle over trying to beat nature or trying to control it and. Um, Control is the is the key there, you know, and and you mentioned it before with ground growing, the lack of control or the the less amount of control that you have ground growing uh, compared to growing consistently in pots, um, but you know each to their own on, on how and what they want to do. Especially if you want big trees, you're going to have to ground grow at some stage or or continually pot up. Um, Every time those roots hit the edge of the container, you're going to be putting into the next container, the next container. Um, so there are ways. The boys up at the nursery, where that's the way we grow trees without ground growing yeah. up there. Um, part of that is that the ground's no good up there um, for growing trees. We need to do a lot of work to the ground to actually get it sustainable for trees. Um, so that's the main reason why they, we grow in pots uh, in black plastics up there. Um, but it's a matter of going up and then working your way back down to yeah. a bonsai pot. Um, That's a part of that whole control thing too. Absolutely. Because if you've got a tree in the ground, you can't control where the sun rises and where the sun sets. 100%. And how much sun that tree is getting. If yeah. you're in the ground, you can't control how aerobic that soil is. No. no or just, how to much so, nutrient retention That's right. that soil has. So, But it's not necessarily that one way or the other is right or wrong. It's just like everything in bonsai, if you're going to do something a certain way, then your techniques suddenly change. So if you're going to grow in the ground, 
the advantage to that is that tree is going to pump. Oh, absolutely. And you're going to end up with a much larger tree yeah. quicker yep. than, say, I mean, it's hard to say that because you see how quick Ash gets his trees in pots. Mm. So it's, I kind of feel like I'm telling a bit of a lie. But, <laughs> but in a normal person's growing, life, yeah, yeah. You know, growing history, uh, if you put a tree in the ground, you're going to get a much bigger tree quicker. But then you're going to lose control of the roots. Yep. It's going to be a lot more work to get it to, to the bonsai stage. That's right. There's going to be, you're going to have to cut it down mm. a lot more. Yep. Um, if you've got it in the pot, then you can control how much sun it's getting. If, you know, let's just say you have a monsoon come through, <laughs> you yeah. know, you yeah. can take a tree and move it yeah. and get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if it's in the ground, it's like, well... Hope you're there you when know, I come back. Cross your fingers and pray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, one of the, I went fortunate enough to get to Kanashi Bonsai Village just outside of Takamatsu in Japan and where the, it's it's known for, for growing black pine. And uh, this whole village has about 17 bonsai nurseries and there's Nawaki nurseries, which are the uh, sort of your bonsai styled trees, if you like, for the garden. And um, there's other nurseries, growing nurseries around this one village. And um, uh, I remember talking, there was one gentleman, we went, it was the first nursery off the station and it was a fourth or fifth generation nursery. His great-grandfather had started the nursery and um, you walk into the nursery, first tree you come across is the, is the prize tree of the nursery. It's right at the front gate and uh, you know, the, the guy... Um, the gentleman who owned the nursery, <coughs> um, he was showing us around. He's quite proudly showing us all these awesome uh, Yamadoris that have been dug from the mountain just here and this and that, but they were pro predominantly a ground-growing nursery. Yep. And he was showing us how they ground-grow their trees for a minimum of 50 years. Oh, wow. They pull them out every five years, do the roots, um, and then turn them around 180 degrees. Yep put them back in. Um, he was also, like, they do the work on the top of the tree as if it was a bonsai. Yep. But um, that, but but it's growing in the ground. Um, they would have had, oh, I would have said at least 200-odd bonsai, or 200-odd trees in the ground and um, minimum 50 years on most of them. Like most of them were at least as thick as your leg, um, bigger leg rather than a little leg. Yep. Um, um, like as in a big person's leg. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were huge, and um, but they were selling them for they that 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 process was that that's what that nursery did. That's all that nursery did. That was its ground grow. A few of them, like they got them, pulled them out, and they put them into a bonsai pot. But the next stage was actually done by a different nursery. That that next stage of first stages of styling or that rough styling, that initial skeletal styling, whatever you want to call it, um, was done by a different nursery. And then it was allowed to grow and come back. And then, you know, either, uh, you know, the Kobayashis or the Kimura would send his entourage down to look at different trees to take back up to Tokyo, to Omiya to work on. And they might come down and choose four or five trees from this other nursery that's done all this pre-styling <coughs> pardon me, take them back up to the nursery in Omiya and start that full refinement work. Yep. It's a full bonsai culture. It's a bonsai industry. 
Well, I um, awesome. I seen a photo a while ago of you and Ash in yep. Japan, and you're standing next to this black pine. And if somebody hadn't have told me that that particular black pine had branches that were ten meters long, yeah, I would have thought you were standing in a field of black pines. I know but it was one tree. Well, that's that nursery is at Kanashi. Um, I, I, I my pronunciation. It's a shojuin. I think it's net net. Nenjaku Shoujuen. I can't remember exactly the name. Yep. My favourite nursery in, in um, Kanashi has a walled garden, concrete walled garden with these unbelievable, you know, four, three, four, five, two hundred year old, whatever bonsai in them. Majority of pines. Um, one or two deciduous trees here and there just lurking around giving a bit of colour. But the majority of its pines. And that particular tree, I actually was... Uh, traveled there in 06 with my wife and saw that tree and it had it was another third bigger 11 years later when I went and saw it it was it's an incredible tree the the trunk on that tree would be as thick as your solo bin like you you've been out yeah, the front yep. that's how thick the trunk is and the main branch um wasn't much thinner that's the main branch that fed all of that yeah thing. but it's it's actually raised up on a um a bamboo uh, structure, if you like. Yep. Um, and uh, sits about 40, 50 centimetres off the ground, maybe a bit more, 60 centimetres off the ground. And that's why I was saying it looked like a field of... Field of pines. Field of pines, but it was a branch. It's one. It's two branches, actually. You can walk... They've, the way they've done it is one branch goes up, say, to the to the north. Yep. The other one goes south. Yep. And they, they just, they've created a walkway in the middle of the two branches so that you can walk up and see the trunk. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unreal. It is just <laughs> unreal. And then, you know, I um every tree in that nursery is another one that you just stop at and go, Oh, yeah, I'd like to have that. Yeah, that'd be good. I just want to take that one. Oh, that's amazing. You know, every tree is amazing. Um but yeah, I'm actually trying to convince Ashley to do a similar sort of branch at Bonzo World. Yep. But uh, Ashley, if you ever listen to this, do not cut that branch off. Anyway, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, so when you consider, and I, and this is the hard thing for us in Australia too to consider is if I'm planting bonsai now, if I'm making bonsai now, I'm I'm thinking those trees won't be ready until my great grandson is of age. Yeah. Now, to have that foresight, I think that's where, like, having that industry, that culture of bonsai being around for so long over in Japan and in Vietnam, it's been around in Vietnam just as long, um, K-Khan is what they call it there, um, and, like, Penjing, Penjing's been around a lot longer again. Um, they've got that industry that, you know, different stages are set up, Um and hopefully one day we'll get there in Australia and we'll have those, you know, growing fields. Um, I think I mentioned before one of the – Grant Bowie, who is a prominent member of the Canberra Bonsai Society, um, and he's the ex-curator of the National Bonsai and Penjing Collection in Canberra. Yep. Um, he had a, a great nursery. It was called Duckwood Bonsai, and uh, it was down at a, a – a, area called Urinbull, which is near Mittagong, um, on the way to Canberra, uh, Goulburn sort of area down in uh, New South Wales. And um, 
he had ground growing plants. He had his his was like Ashley's, but on a not quite as big a scale. Yep. But it was more where Ashley's, uh, where Bonzo World is about growing plants quickly. He was about growing them slowly, and 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 working each stage of the tree. Yep. And so, um, he had nowhere near the size of the of the nursery at Ashley's, and I don't think with Ashley's you could do that, have that concentration of work, um, in in our in 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 our society now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the work, the trees become too expensive. Um, because you know, reality is, each time you work on the tree, you should be putting a little bit of dollars on it for yourself because the time spent you're working on the tree. Yep. Um, if we did that to some of our trees here in Australia, they'd be worth thousands of dollars, and you'd never sell a tree. Yeah, exactly. So, whereas you do that in Japan or in Vietnam, it's worth thousands of dollars. Someone will come along and buy it. Oh yeah, especially in Japan. Guarantee it. I mean, they've got people who spend ridiculous amounts of money on trees in Japan and they don't even have them at their house or look after them. They stay at the nursery. Stay at the nursery. They, they put them in the shows. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just it. They, that's that full industry. You yeah. Know, having that, um, well, the, I mean, the Coco Futon, which is the main show over there. Yep. Um, that's the one that drives that industry. Yeah. You, know, you win that, oof, you're, you're, as a bonsai, as the bonsai nursery working on that winning tree, well, all of a sudden that's, that's a good thing for you. And, you know, as the owner of that tree, that's great prestige. Yeah, exactly. You know, awesome. You know, in the bonsai community, which is huge over there. It's huge. Yep. I mean, people talk about Japan's bonsai um, industry slowing down, and I'd have to agree. Um, the difference in 06 to 17, 2006 to 2017, the 11 years, um, whereas I saw fields and fields of black pines growing in 06, I didn't see as many fields in 2017. Yep. A funny thing, we walked into a field of eucalypts. Oh. Eucalyptus. No joke. Right. Growing in Kanashi Bonsai Village. I couldn't believe it. And then there was another field of olives growing. And these were food producing, like the actual food olives. Yep. A fruiting olives, should I say. But um, those were, there, were, there was a field of that. There was a field of this eucalyptus. There was a field of something else. They weren't bonsai. Um, there were still fields of black pines, yep. Um, but the, there weren't as many, and also too, there weren't as many nurseries in Kanashi as when I went in '06, um, which I thought was a telling sign. There were a number of nurseries that w- um, were in decline. Um, you know, you, you have this typical thought in your mind of a Japanese bonsai nursery perfection, not a weed, not a not a not a leaf out of place, needle out of place, like everything's perfect. Well, you're walking into nurseries and there's weeds everywhere. There's trees tipped over. There's, you know, trees that are way overgrown and and like you can tell this is a nursery that's on the down. Yeah, it's not going right. to make it. And the owners have decided to to put their um their uh, time into something else. Um, so I don't think it'll ever die though. It's too entrenched. Like the, people have bonsai outside their house. Yeah, you know we can't do that. Here in Australia, the tree will get stolen. Yeah, pretty straight quickly. A, straight away. Yeah. Like it's, which is a very, very sad thing. It's a sad indictment on us that we can't do that. But the reality is we can't. Um, yeah. You know, I've had, I had, when I had my nursery, my nursery got broken into, I had about a dozen trees stolen. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. I'd been working on those trees at that stage for about eight or nine years. You know, one of the trees was the logo for my nursery. Yeah, right. It, it, got stolen yep 
you know um and it's it's a really it's sad that you still that we have like we've come to the point now there's there's a stolen bonsai register for australia now like that's it's just it's sad because you should be able to have your possessions as your possessions and not have someone else come along and think that they've got the right you know grubby right to take take it off you but in saying that kobayashi has had a few stolen yep um over in his nursery, Shunkayen in, in Tokyo, in Edogawa. Um, he had some stolen um, back in, it was the year 2016. It was the year before I went over um, in 2017. So, you know, it, it happens all the time, um, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's hopefully that it, part of getting bonsai out to everyone is being able to show them. But uh, a lot of people don't show their trees at all because they're fearful of, of having them taken. And the silly thing about it is, too, that you wonder, you know, are they stealing the... That, well, you'd have to think that they wouldn't steal a bonsai if they were into bonsai, because then they would know the value of the tree and how much it probably means to that person. You'd hope so. Yeah. But if you were somebody who was stealing it for a monetary value... Yep. It's stupid, because if you stole any one of my trees and put them up on Facebook... You'd, you'd know them straight away. I'd know that was my tree. Yeah. And that's and part of the awesome thing about the internet is the is and and part of what's you know, this this drive that's in Australia at the moment with bonsai, which I'm you know, everyone's sort of feeling a bit more of a drive with this, with Australian bonsai at the moment, with the recent convention, uh Ryan Neal talking about it on his podcast, he was pumped. Yeah. Um Hugh Grant up there at um uh, Tookley or Nora Head, where up there, uh, he's really driving a, driving along, and um, and yourself. There's other people in Victoria really picking up the pace. Um, but you know, with all of these things happening, um, you know, it's <coughs> it's going to be harder for those trees to to stay anonymous. Like you know, yeah. if someone stole it, they're going to be keeping it in their backyard for themselves. Yeah. And so that's where you sort of think, oh, you know, you, you hope those people understand how much they were, the, the value of those trees is to the person working on the trees. But, yeah. yeah all that time that goes into a tree. Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, that lives in that tree. Yeah. Oh, look, my, my poor wife, the, bon, the bonsai widow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, you know the, all that time that I spend on my trees... Um, to have them all of a sudden bang on, that was it was a very heartbreaking time. And, and the, the horrible thing about it is um, my wife was into bonsai at that time. Yep. And five of the trees that were stolen were hers. Yeah. Now, she got the pick of the trees that came into the nursery at the time. So whenever we, I went out to buy trees, I'd come home and she'd go, oh, I really like that one. I'd go, it's the best tree there. You know, I was going to put a good dollar value on that, and she gets and sell it. You know, get make money. It's a business, and she go, no, 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 you're not selling that one. And she'd keep the tree. So these five trees were awesome, and I'd been working on them for a couple of years at that stage, and they got stolen. She's never touched bonsai again. Yeah, never touched bonsai again. That's fifteen years. So you know, it's 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 a sad thing. I, I but it's been going on for years, and this is part of. The, part of the thing that I you know I hope we change but like I've got early magazines from the early 80s uh late 70s Bonsai Australia magazines 
Um, and there was people having trees stolen back then. Yeah. And so, you know, we, I think until we all have a, all those people who are doing it have a good look at themselves or, you know, it, it'll happen again, unfortunately, to some people. The guy up at Long Jetty, um, sorry, Bado Bay, had his, uh, had his collection stolen just before Christmas. So, yeah, anyway, I mean, enough, that, enough of the bad stuff. I mean, that, that, that <laughs> is something that worries me. Um, like, last night, my partner woke me up mm. because she was like, I think I can hear something out in the garden. Yeah. <clears throat> and, like, I was straight up. Oh, like, yeah. half the time I'm out the door before I've even got my pants on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or just run out like one of those ancient Celts, mate. Just run out <laughs> naked. Rah, <just laughs> screaming or something. <laughs> Scare them off. But, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Like, well, it's part of the... Because oh, I know Ashley up at Bonsai World, he worries about it. You know, he's yeah. got you know, thousands of dollars worth of very, very old and expensive bonsai uh, sitting up in his... What is effectively his backyard. Yeah. You know, and... You know, the, there's only so much you can do. I know Ray Nesky down at Nesky Bonsai, he's had them stolen there. He's got a full cage set up. They came in with angle grinders and were cutting the cage. And he came out and found them. They just dropped the tools and left. You know, he's not going to stop them. He might end up getting, you know, hurt. Yeah. You don't know what these people are going to do. Yep. But it's, um, yeah... Fingers, like, you know, you can only do what you can do and hopefully uh, but a lot of people don't show their bonsai. It's almost, the, I often often call it the hidden hobby. Yep. It's hidden away from people's eyes. Well, you, you know, know, it's crazy. Um, I was out to dinner one night with my partner and her dad and her nan. Yep. And I got a message on my phone and it was somebody inquiring about bonsai trees and... Um, you know, I'm pretty nice to all my customers and you know, I'm straight onto it and, yeah. you know, try and show an interest in, you know, even though I'm out to dinner, yeah. still try and, you know, give them that drive for a tree and give them that time of day. Yeah. And this particular person said, oh, <clears throat> do you mind if I come around now? Which was kind of weird because it was a Saturday night. It was about seven o'clock. And um, I said, well, look, I'm out to dinner you know, with family and whatnot. And then the next message I got was, um, I'm already here. And my heart sunk. And I said, you know, I haven't even given you the address. How do you know what house it is? And the message I got was, well, it's pretty obvious. It's the house with all the tiny trees. And I left. I left the restaurant, Yep. got in the car and went straight back there. And I was... You know, I was raging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was oh, yeah. absolutely raging. When I got there, they weren't even there. Like, it was just a false thing. But, yeah. I mean, my heart at that time sunk to the floor. Oh, yeah. Because I thought, is this person, you they know. They jump in the fence. And they at my garden That's... loading up all the trees. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, look, when you, and it's one of the most surprising things walking around Japan, you know, is, You'd walk past a beautiful, I mean, it might only be 40, 50 years old, but it's still 40, 50-year-old tree, but it's beautiful pine sitting on someone's front steps. Yep. You know, and you're walking along the street and, you know, and like that nursery where the guy was so proud in Japan in Kanashi, the first one off at Kanashi Station, he's so proud showing us his best bonsai 
Um, they're at the front gate. Yeah. The gate's wide open and the road is less than two metres from it. Yep. No one will ever steal that tree. Well, they're so nice in Japan. That's just their culture. It's their culture. That no one will, no one would even think about it. It's their, they know that that's their possession. If I want to get it, I'll, I'll have to buy it. So much respect. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it is, it's a very, I mean, that's their culture. They're very respectful, very, very nice people. Um, go out of their way to help you. Yep. Um, but yeah, that just, that just wouldn't be, but it's getting back to that nursery. I didn't mention how much those trees were. I mean, 50 to 80 years old in the ground. And he pulls them out and sells them for between 50 and a hundred thousand US dollars. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> and like one of the things when I first started, we were talking to Ray Nesky one day and, and I was saying to him, you know, well, why don't you bring some trees back from this is uh, back in the late 90s I think early 2000s I said why don't you bring some trees back from Japan you know oh we should get those in and he's sort of you know I'm only new to it at that time sort of thing and he's saying oh mate quarantine it's too hard can't get them back in he said besides that I could go and buy a $10,000 black pine in Japan bring it back here and put $5,000 on never sell it yeah ever sell it yep he goes, saying, he goes, I could go spend 50 and put 10 on it here in Australia and never sell it. He goes, so, and that's, that's the difference in the market um, that we face here in Australia is um, the value of, of that, the artistic value behind the tree isn't there, isn't there for us yet. You know what I mean? For, yeah. for people who are right into it, like, like myself or, you know, there's many people around Australia who are very passionate about bonsai, they can see, the value yeah and like i'm quite happy to pay a couple grand for a bonsai don't let my wife hear that but i'd be quite happy to, to pay that no dramas because i understand that's 25 years worth of consistent work year after year it's been repotted on it you know when it's required it's been maintained it's been fed it's been looked after yep for 20 years or 25 years you can't you can't just replicate that in two years yeah, exactly. That 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 work is worth paying for, and once as we mature as a bonsai culture, more and more of us will begin to understand or learn to understand that, and 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 increase, and that'll increase the value of the trees more. Yeah. So, what I hope is that one day my own son takes over my trees, um, and that and they'll actually be worth, you know, not only the you know a monetary value but they'll be worth something as a bonsai because they'll be good bonsai yeah you know what i mean i think monetarily we'll always be behind um you know that's something like something that um, ryan neal talks about you know the u.s market he doesn't ever think that the u.s market will ever be similar to japan i mean <coughs> when i was in there in 2017 walking around um kobayashi's nursery in shunko and he explained that he just sold a nursery to a chinese bit uh, just sold a Japanese black pine, should I say, to a businessman from China for a million US. Yeah. One million. And then I went to another nursery, which was called S-Cube. Um, I forget where it was, but it, it was another cracking nursery. And they had three of the best Japanese white pine I'd ever seen. Um, trunks, which were just enormous. A main pad on one tree, which had easy 200 and 50 candles on it yep. one pad and these trees were huge four foot four and a half foot tall in bonsai pots but they were enormous 
Um, they sold for just under a million dollars US each. So, I yeah. mean, hey. But in, in Japan, we've got to realise too, in Australia here and even in America, we're not even probably at the end of our first generation of bonsai yet. Where in Japan, they're probably fourth oh. generation. Oh, keep going. I mean, they've got trees that have been handed down. Yeah. I mean, if you think of a person, you know, if you say the art is one person like years old, it's a yes. hundred years old. Yeah. So their, their art is probably four, you know, yeah. four years old. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. if you were counting it in a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Where here in Australia, we're probably. Oh, know, infancy. Yeah. We're Crawling. probably under a hundred years. Yeah. Well, Australia, I mean, Australian bonsai, I think people, uh, not me, not me, those who've been doing bonsai a long time know bonsai. The first bonsai nursery which was apparently Cora Chef's nursery. Yep. Uh, there's a dispute, not dispute, but there's sort of conjecture to that, but 1937 yep. um, was apparently when Vita Cora Chef opened up the nursery there at Castle Hill. Um, the 1951 Pines, um, which are quite a, in bonsai circles, they're known as the 1951 Cora Chef Pines. There's two of them as Niwaki outside of the National Collection in Canberra. Yep. Um, and then there are, I think there are two or three of them in the collection. Um, I'm fortunate enough to own one of them here. And um, Ash up at the nursery has a couple as well. And there are others from that same patch in batch of seed, from seed in 1951. So, but Bonsai in, and, and, I, and I often find myself reading, being the newsletter editor for the magazine writer for the, for the club, I'm always looking for new stuff to write about and yeah. trends in bonsai and you know it's like formal upright was a really popular tree in japan in the 70s and then formal uprights went out of fashion and then the junipers came in and all those wild shapes and the wild yamadori sort of junipers in during the 1980s and into the 90s um, they were the fashionable ones and then maples came into fashion in the 90s and then now they're out of fashion they're not worth the value yeah um and during the 1970s, bonsai was raging in Sydney. There would have been 20 nurseries in Sydney alone back in the 1970s. Yep. Um, ads, like there's three or four pages worth of ads in these little magazines that used to be printed by Bonsai Australia. Um, and a lot of them were little backyarders. Um, but for a bonsai nursery, that's what a bonsai nursery often is you go to japan a lot of these are just backyard nurseries but they're just beautifully set out with amazing trees um and so during the 70s there was as i say there were a lot of nurseries um and when i started in the mid 90s a lot of those nurseries were winding up um so i'd actually say we're in we, we've certainly finished that first generation i think the Koroshevs, i mean dot is dorothy's still alive um, she'd be in her 90s now. Yep. Uh, she's sort of the doyen of, of Australian bonsai, if you like, the queen of Australian bonsai. Um, she's still quite active, though. She gets around to the Bonsai Society of Australia meetings and gets along to the conventions when she can. And she's a, she's a lovely lady. Um, so, But you're right, that first generation, we're definitely into, an, into that next generation of people. Um, uh, coming through and you know i i've said quite often and you know, one of the one of the big inspirations for me at the moment is is hugh grant up there at um 
at Tree Makers. Yep. I've known Hugh since he was a young fella, since he was only 12 or 13 years old, and I've watched him come through um, as part of the Central Coast Bonsai Club and as um, up there at the nursery, and he came up to my nursery a couple of times and as a young fella. Um, but he's... Um, his sort of pursuit of a more natural sort of Australian style. And I don't think that's anything new. I think we've been searching for that Australian style for a long time. It's just whether or not someone has found <coughs> found a way to actually put it into practice well. I think he's doing a great job with that. Yeah. Um, and so I find a lot of inspiration from him um, to try different things. I find in my own practice... I'm more Jap- Japanese orientated with my trees. Um, uh, not to say that I like producing big green helmets of foliage, you know, or anything. Yeah. I, I, I prefer it's it's like for for pines, and I know we're gonna, we'll talk about pines in a sec. For pines, they they you know when they get to about eight years after the initial styling, they're at that full maturity of what they are um, for that design, if you like. And um, not to say that they're not looking good in the third and fourth year. They are. They're starting to really look good. Um, but the eighth and ninth and tenth years, that's where the, the black pine or the red pine, white pine, whatever pine you're working with, that's where they really start to mature and take on that um, that very mature, rounded look, if you like, um, depending on what you're after, depending on the styles, whatever you, you happen to have done. Um, but, yeah, they can they can become... It's something Bill Valvanis said in one of his podcasts. Um, he said, oh, they all become green helmets. So you walk down the exhibition and it's just green helmet, green helmet, green helmet because they're so full of foliage. Yep. And I actually prefer probably a stage back from that where you can still see inside the tree. You can still see those branches. You can still see uh, a little bit of the structure. You know, you're not, I'm, not, I'm not giving it all to you. I like you to. I like you to have a, like especially on a mature bonsai. I like you to actually have to get down and have a look. Yeah. You know, so make you really look inside. Um, so I, I say this in my demonstration quite often. I find Kunio Kobayashi, the way he styles trees, he's the showman. All these trees are very open. You can see the trunk. You know, um, he's, he's quite open in the way he styles trees. Whereas Kimura is a lot more inner. The branches come in. You've got to actually sort of look for the trunk line sometimes, or he's, he may be doing that on purpose to hide a fault. Who knows yep. um, what he's thinking is behind it. I don't speak Japanese, and I, I can't read Japanese, so some of the articles you read on, you just don't know. But um, but I can sort of get a, a feeling for what he's after. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and that comes down to the, the very subjective nature of Bond. So we all style trees and, and see trees differently. That's part of the beauty of it, so... Well, that's like I was saying to you out the back when we were looking at your collection. Yeah. I prefer, myself, the trees that have a thinner trunk. Yep. A more elegant, thinner trunk, and they have the smaller foliage. Yes. Because my reasoning behind that is, is once you develop a tree out with a lot of ramification, when you've got that smaller foliage, mm. you can see a lot more of that work. Gives you that scale. Yeah. That scale that you're after. And that's... Yeah, getting your mind's eye into envisaging that as a massive tree when it's only like 30 centimetres tall. Yeah. That's part of the challenge, you know, is getting to envisage that tree as being massive 
and having that miniature foliage um, helps out immensely. You can really, you know, uh, create some great things. But in saying that, like what we discussed outside, you know, consistent work uh, on a tree will develop results. Um, you know, another thing, another quote I always think about is that, you know, okay, certain techniques will give you certain results, but like if you want smaller leaves, consistent work on an annual basis, on a biannual basis, however often you work on that tree, consistent work over a number of years, over a decade, that will give you the results. Yeah. You know, shouldn't be so concerned with, oh, I've got to do this technique to get that result. Consistency will get it in the end. And leaf size reduces. Internodal length will reduce. The bonsai pot, as I mentioned, is a tool. It's part of our arsenal of, of, of what we um, have in the kit, if you like, to, to be able to achieve the goals that we're after. Um, so, yeah, it's look, it's a fascinating hobby. It really is. And you meet some fascinating people, some very interesting people, some very driven people. Yep. Um, you know, but then I have, uh, you know, like you saw out in the back, um, I've got my mate's collection at the moment where he dropped it off eight months ago when he moved into a, an apartment and, you know, the lazy bum hasn't been back to, to fix any, to do any work. I think he's been once and we stood around with a beer in hand and talked about the trees. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he's got some nice trees too. Look, he does. He's got some really good trees. Uh, he's been, he's another lucky candidate who started when he was very young. He was only 12 as well. And, um, yeah, Justin, if you're out there, mate, come and work on your trees, will you? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he's he does a lot of digging uh, out there, doing a bit of uh, finding uh, sort of Yamadori, wild collected trees. Uh, he's got, uh, he's got a, a good eye for it. He just uh, lacks that motivation at this time of his life. And we all go through that. It ebbs and flows, doesn't yeah. it? You know, like I know with... With my own bonsai collection, this is probably the third incarnation of my collection. Uh, the first incarnation was when I lived in Sydney. The second was when I was at the nursery, and this is sort of the third, the third one of it. And whenever, that's a funny thing. I actually said to my wife, "Whenever we're good, and and the family's running well, my bonsai look great. But whenever there's dramas in my life with my wife." My bonsai go to crap. <laughs> so I said to her, you know, we have to get on. My bonsai rely on it. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, when I'm, I need that outlet. Yep. You've got a, that yin and yang of life. Life is so busy and, and so hectic, especially the way we, you know, we have, you know, we do it to ourselves a lot of the time. Uh, we make things more hectic than they need to be but that is part and parcel of being in life uh and living this modern life i suppose you'd say um but the bonsai just allows that time um you know i, I go into quite often i'll go into that you know that flow state of i'll go down to work on a tree um with a coffee and i'll sit there and look at the tree start working on the tree next thing you know the coffee's cold yeah oh didn't even get a sip out of that Damn it. So I come back up, heat the microwave, heat it up in the microwave, go back down, start working on the tree again, get another sip in and things cold again. Just hours just flow by, you know, fly by and often my wife will come down and go, I've just watched a whole movie 
what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, sorry, yep, I'll just finish this branch. Still deciding on a front. Yeah, I just, <laughs> just give me a sec. A sec? You've been down here for hours, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah, as I said before, my poor wife, the bonsai widow. So <laughs> Maybe we need to give him a public holiday. One day a year. One day a year for the bonsai widows, absolutely. <laughs> day off. And widowers because there's a lot of um, – one of the things about Australia is we've, we have a lot of women who do bonsai, which I think is awesome. Uh, they bring a very different perspective to, to styling trees and to working on trees. And um, I was very – actually, I was disappointed. I, it's hard to be disappointed. I was in Vietnam, but I missed out on Bonsai Week this year. Oh, right. Uh, with the had the three um, female demonstrators from overseas, um, and I unfortunately I couldn't make it because I was still in Vietnam. I actually got back on the Friday of the evening of it, you know, the big um, gala evening, and I flew in on the on the in the morning, and I was umming and ahhing. Should I jump in the car and drive four hours? But I just spent sixteen days away from my family, so I didn't think they'd see that as being a good idea. Thought better of it and stayed home. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. Look, uh, yeah, and that's another thing people should be trying to do is get along to these. The bonsai week is fantastic. Um, Lee Tafe and the and the boys down there, and the, and the girls down there at, at, at the arbor at the collection, should I say, which is located in the National Arboretum. Um, quite often, I call it just the Arboretum. Yeah. But um, you know, at the collection there, they do an amazing job. Bonsai Week is fantastic initiative. Um, you know, especially if you're a member of a, of a of an associated bonsai club, um, they uh, they get free positions in the workshops. So yeah, right. every club gets two positions if you're part of the AABC, which is the Australian Association of Bonsai Clubs. So I was fortunate enough to get a, get one with uh, Carlos van der Vaart, who's a um, from Belgium, I believe. Um, Belgium, maybe Holland. I don't know. Yeah, you'd probably be peeved at me if I get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but great guy, uh, Yannick Kigan was out at the same time. Um, and worked on a couple of my trees in the in the free workshops, you know, which are provided by the M- National Bonsai Imprinting Collection. Yep. Um, you know, and that's that's bonsai work. And then coming up in uh, August, we've got uh, Ryan Neal and also uh, Kunio Kobayashi coming out uh, for the uh, Masters Night. Another fantastic uh, event. Um, and in my mind, dirt cheap. It's only $95 to see two of the best bonsai demonstrators in the world. Yeah. Um, and you get a beer and free f- and food coming around as well. Yeah. And the food's top notch, let me tell you. They don't they don't mess about down there. They they give you the good stuff and and you know, well, beer's beer. It tastes good anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, and you know, for myself, you know, doing bonsai for 24 odd years now, um you know, I'm not going down there to learn anything wildly new. I'm just going down there for that one little bit, that one tidbit that I can take back and improve my collection with. Um, and you know, when you when you're talking about international demonstrators, especially, I think there is. You should just be going out of your way if you have the drive and passion, and you really want to improve. You should be going out of your way to try and make these events. Um, the AABC National Conventions, another. Um, I'm privileged to be able to to demonstrate at the 2020 uh, AABC convention, which is being held in Sydney and Bankstown through the uh, Illawarra Club. Yep. Next year, 
and um, I'm fortunate to be able to to demonstrate there. And I'm looking, really looking forward to that with uh, Andrew Selman from up in Queensland. Um, oh, it's one Andre. I know that from um, uh, Santa Monica, I think he's from. Um, and then, oh, I'd hate to get it wrong, the Japanese artist that's coming out as well. I think I think it's Matsuda, but I can't I can't say. Sorry if I get that wrong. Um, but yeah, you know those sort of those sort of events um, where you're with like-minded people yep. who are all there. They're all passionate about bonsai. Um, people who will do they'll bend over backwards to to help you improve. Um, you know I'm I'm uh, you know very fortunate to to count a lot of those people as friends. Yeah. So and um. And and I really enjoy you know you go along to one you you know you'll be made made feel welcome, but then it, it becomes like a yearly, oh, you know a lot of people go to a really good event called the Tops Weekend, which is held by Illawarra Club as well down at Stanmore Park. Um, it's a whole weekend. Now they have international demonstrators there um, who hold workshops as well. But you can just go along and just a lot of people go along and just hang out for the weekend. They bring yeah. trees, they work on trees, but they might go chat to someone over there, go chat to someone over there, um, and that's and that and that to me, I'm I'm a visual learner and a hands-on learner. Um, I, I I learn a little bit through reading, but not as much. I need to see it done. I need to get it done myself, and that's part of why I have a lot of trees out the back. Um, Forget it. Last count, it was well over three hundred out the back. A lot, mind you, listeners, they're not all in bonsai pots, so there's a lot of developing trees out there. So, um, but um, you know, I have a lot of trees, so I can practice those techniques I learned. Yeah. You know, and if you only have a few trees, um, and you're wanting to push, then pushing on those really high quality trees, yeah. Okay, if you, I know Ryan Neal does it on 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 his um, Mariah Live, and he works on trees that are that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. But you know, he's also a six year vet, six year Japanese trained bonsai uh, apprentice, yeah. and you know he's 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 got that work behind him and has that confidence to be able to do that. Um, for myself, I will I will first work on a less valuable tree, um, like I know. Was a couple of years ago, we were doing trunk chops on Jap, uh, sorry, wedge cuts on on Japanese black pines, and you know, so I got a cheap bit of material and did a wedge cut, and I took out a piece of pie that was huge, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to bend this thing over, aren't I? Well, that didn't work, did it? And ended up breaking the trunk. You yeah. know, understanding, okay, I can't take out something that's on a you know, like a massive wedge. I have to start with a little wedge and start. And so, you know, for me to learn on my 1978 black pine out there and to learn that mistake on that tree, oof, that would have been a devastating. Hard, a devastating lesson to learn. So if you want to push and you want to try different things, um, I often recommend people, you know, try on something that's not necessarily a cheapie, like a $5 starter very hard to make anything or do anything with a five dollar starter spend a spend a pineapple of 50 and buy yourself a nice tree or something half decent with a bit of body a bit of bulk yeah um, something to work with 
and um and have a bit more of a crack uh, at, at something that you may you know step outside your comfort zone. I often say that to people I'm I'm teaching, you know, try and step outside your comfort zone a little bit. You'll you'll be more rewarding. Yeah, like I was saying before about that tea tree, I got putting it in that pot. Yeah, yeah. That was way outside my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. But, you, you but know, it's kicking on and it looks great in that looks pot. Looks awesome. So yeah, and that's you know those. Those little wins that you have, you know, that just spurs you on to the next bit, spurs yeah. you on to the next one. Oh, maybe I'll try a bigger tree next time. Maybe I'll try, you know, I'm up to doing wedge cuts on trunks as thick as my arm now. Yep. You know, because I have that little bit more confidence than, and I know that I've seen results from what I've done previously. So, yeah, it's, look, it's, there's so many, um, so many different facets to bonsai. Yeah. Um, so many different things, whether or not, you know, you you prefer, you know, some people just prefer the pots, the bonsai pots, um, and they collect bonsai pots. They, don't, they only have a couple of bonsai, but the bonsai pot collection is like in the hundreds. Um, That's like my partner at the moment. I think she'd do that if she could. <laughs> yeah, he likes the pots. Any, yeah. Anytime I come back with pots, she's like, oh, I want that one, I want that one. I'm like, what and are you going to do with them? Yeah, and we're blessed. We're blessed in Australia to have so many fantastic um Australian potters um out there. Um we've been doing it for a long time. There's yeah, and we've got some good up and comers too. Absolutely. Think, sorry if I get his name wrong, but uh James Tranter. I yes. Th- I think, yes. Um I've seen some of his pots and Yeah. Unbelievable. Awesome. And the thing with his pots, uh they represent the Australian landscape really well. Yep. Like I was saying about that tea tree. Yeah. I mentioned just before I Search for ages for a pot that was just this particular off-white color and had the cracks in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. he does a lot of that stuff, so I think there's a lot of potential. You know, Absolutely, in his work. Australian potters using Australian clay. Um, you know, it really it gives that certain look to to a native if you're using natives. Um, and natives are back on the popular list. Yeah, it's like a trend. You know, I was mentioning trends before. Well, natives were popular in Australia and in the seventies and eighties when when people were trying to learn how to do it. I mean, Doc Koroshev and Vita Koroshev came out with a bonsai in Australia, bonsai with Australian natives. Um, you know that, and then they and then the the excitement for them I think died down in the nineties when we had this. You know, there was the craze when I first got into it was pines. Pines and junipers. Everyone yep. wants pines and junipers, and I, and I think, you know, to even to this day, like up at the nursery, our biggest seller at the nursery is juniper squamata. Oh yeah, for sure, because it's somewhat of an instant bonsai. Just cannot keep enough of them in the nursery. Um, you know, he's got, uh, I think, seven thousand cuttings being taken at the moment up there at the nursery, just to give us some stock. We put down upwards of. 10,000 uh, pine seed. Um, we've got five pines left on the block. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's sad days. <laughs> if you're, if you're a black pine lover at the nursery. Um, but, and so we, we're finding that, you know, they're, they're flavor of the year, you know, for us at the moment and have been for many years actually um, at the nursery. We just struggle to, to, to maintain levels. Yeah. Um, of of stock, and and part of the issue too is that we will build the stock up, and then have 
some of the stock that doesn't get sold go into bigger sizes, bigger sizes, and all of a sudden we've got this really nice older looking trees, and then they all sell. Yeah. Which is awesome. We want them to sell, but at the same time, we don't have the time to build up the stock underneath it to get it to that stage because the time we can only go so fast. Um, and Ashley does have that advantage up there at Bonsai World of, of growing trees really quickly, um, which is even still not quick enough Yeah, so for, for that range. Um, but, yeah, it's – look, it's it's – it's always that changing. It's it'll ebb and flow. Like certain trees will be popular for a couple of years, and then they won't be. Certain yeah. styles are popular, and then they won't be. Um, I mean, you're talking about that before, and you've seen that in Japan. Yes. Like at one point, um, Satsuki azaleas were kings, the thing to have. Kings, and they were the most priciest trees. And then, yep. You know, after that, you've seen an influx of Japanese maples and, yeah. you know, they were the pricey trees and they were the most prized possessions. And yep. I think somewhat these days you're seeing uh, more value placed on shimpaku yeah. junipers. Yep, um, absolutely. And rightfully so, because if anybody has ever tried to grow a shimpaku, <laughs> you know that uh, you've got slow. a lot of time ahead of you. Yeah, they're very slow and... <laughs> We uh, and and ground growing doesn't seem to thicken them up as as quick as what you'd think. Yep. Um, that's not to say that they won't thicken in the ground. They do, um, but you're not going to get like say for example, if you were to place a trident maple or a Chinese elm into the ground, the difference in five years of five years, should I say, um, the trident maple will be as thick as your leg, the squamato will be as thick as your thumb. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. To see these um, shimpaku trunks being, you know, as thick as a Coke can or as thick as a 1.25 litre bottle, you're just like, whoa, that's an old tree. That's yep. been grown for a long time. Um, a friend of friend of mine actually brought – he dug a, a juniper squamata out of a place and um, it had a trunk on it. Oh, it was as thick as a two-litre bottle. Yeah, like right. it was huge. Um, not much of a tree. We were going to have to do some work to it to to get it to be a bonsai. Um, but the tree didn't make it, unfortunately. We didn't keep the misting up to it or whatever happened. I didn't have control of that. Uh, that was up at the nursery. But, um, yeah, that just it didn't make it. But, yeah. So, yeah, Shimpaku. They're actually my favourite juniper uh, yep. over the squamata. The squamata is... To me, it's quite a coarse foliage. Um, they're great for uh, getting almost instant bonsai, like what you mentioned, um, and they grow a hell of a lot quicker than the um, shimpaku. So the squamata are great for that turnaround and yeah. um, excellent for working on at the nursery. Um, as I say, we just can't keep up. It's an, it's an amazing... I actually mentioned to Ashley when we were in Japan, maybe we should get rid of all the other trees. And just just do pines and squamatas, and um, because that's what they've done in Japan. You know, you've got a whole village, Kanashi. Uh, there's another one down the road. Uh, it's the next station. I've never been there um, over in Japan, and they, it's the same down there. That's all they do is pines. Yeah, right. And you walk in the nursery. That's all they've got is pines. They might have a token deciduous tree for a bit of colour, but. The rest of it is pines, all different stages, four inch, six inch, eight inch, 
Um, I'm talking pot sizes here. Um, different techniques. The One of the techniques that we do up at the nursery with the regards to the pines, the wrapping of the wire to, to scar the trunk up, the thicken the trunk. Yep. We learned that in Japan. Um, we went to a nursery where it was funny, actually. We, we were walking down the street from one nursery to another nursery in, in, in the village and um, walking past a field of black pines. And we're walking along and the road sort of ended. And we're like, oh, where's this going? We look, you get given a map when you get out of the station at Kanashi of all the village and all the nurseries. Oh, right, cool. Um, so you know where to walk. Yep. And um, <coughs> pardon me, it's, um, and so we've come to the end of this street and we're like, oh, and we're looking over and there's like some you know, grass and whatnot and it's walking up a, a small rise in the, in the ground and there's another nursery. And we're like, oh, we'll just walk up there. We're walking through the guy's backyard. We just didn't realise. <laughs> and he's come from the front and walked down. Oh, hello, hello. You know, he's waving to us. And he ended up being, he ended up knowing uh, Megumi Bennett, um, who's a prominent bonsai artist in Sydney and owns uh, Bonsai Art over at Bellrose. Um, is it Bellrose now? I think it is. Apologies if it's not. It's on Forest Way. And um, uh, he goes, oh, Australia, Australia. We're like, yeah, yeah. He comes out, gives us his business card and shows us a photo of him and Megumi Bennett. And go, oh, I know this lady. And we're like, yeah, yeah, I know her. That's Megumi. He goes, yeah, yeah, Megumi. So, you know, and, you know, he invited us up. Um, he was showing us uh, all of, there was, they had, um, I don't know if it was, it was just his, some of his workers, but they showed us what they were doing. You know, they were doing, uh, at that time they were decandling, beginning of summer. So they're all decandling the pines. And um, he said, you know, my son, my son, I'll get my son. And we're like, oh, okay, what for sort of thing. And he goes, my son looks after that side of the nursery, all white pine. He goes, I look after this side of the nursery, all black pine. And I'm like, okay, no worries. And so we're walking around, unbelievable trees. Yep. Um, you know, each one is just another gobsmack after another gobsmack, just uh, jaw-dropping stuff. And then the son comes up and he speaks a bit of English and he's like, oh, come and have a look at my trees. So we go down and look at his trees. And he's got, he had one Japanese white pine and it was oh, easy 40, 50 centimetres across the base and in diameter. Like it was huge and um, stood about three and a half foot tall. And he goes, and there was, that one was amongst, oh, 200 of them on benches in bonsai pots, right? <laughs> and he goes, all of them going to Europe. And I'm like, what? He goes, yep, that's all going to Europe. And then he took us down the back to the ground-grown stuff, and I'm just like, oh, how good are these? And then he's like showing us, oh, we'll do this. This will come out next year. This will do this. And then he showed us the next area, which was the smaller trees, and he's going down in size. And he's at the tens by now. He's showing, and we're looking at these tens, thinking, oh, geez, they're scarred up, and like they're gnarly as. And he shows us the sixes, and we found out why. He's got wire. He wires them, and he leaves the wire in. Scars that trunk up and gets them thicker, quicker, and really gnarls them up and gives them some sort of uh, gives them some character. Some character, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, oh, how good is this, you know? So, um, and it's it's those little things, you know, that we and once again, little thing that I bring back and do to our trees here. And it's funny, we had one lady at the nursery going, oh. You should never do that. You shouldn't leave wire in the tree. And we're like, well, they do it in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we say every day. Hey, they do that in Japan. Well, we can do it here. Why can't we? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 